you, uh, as you find your seats, would you take an attitude of prayer? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you now before your word with great praise and thanksgiving for all that has taken place so far this morning. We thank you, God, that you have given us freedom through your Son, Jesus Christ. That as we gather here as brothers and sisters, as your sons and daughters, God, there is a purpose and a reason. And it only comes in and through you. And so I pray, Lord, that wherever we may find ourselves this morning, that as we turn to your word now, that we would humble ourselves. That in the places and areas of our lives that we need to repent, that we would do so. That we would confess to you, confess to one another, that we would turn, Lord, to you. Our hope our anchor, our Savior. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, today we come to the end of our sermon series, Something Needs to Change, and the title series and the study itself has hopefully brought each of us to reflect how we are intentionally living and hopefully has uh, helped us realize that we need to make some changes. In a moment, we'll turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 16, and we'll be focusing our time today on, on verses 19 through 31. But before we do, I want to pose a question for each of us to think about. And I know I'm coming out of the gate with a really deep one, okay? So bear with me, buckle up. Where are you spending eternity? I ask it again. Where are you spending eternity? Now what we're about to read is a particular parable. And each parable that Christ gives has a message of intent, and this one is no exception. And yet there's a point of caution within this parable that we'll be talking about eschatology. That's a fancy theological term that pertains to death, judgment, heaven. We'll talk more about that in a moment, but as we get into his word, I just wanted to give you a little prep there that there's going to be something and some things that we read this morning that you might think, huh. So if you brought your Bibles with you this morning, I want to invite you to turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 16. If you didn't, that's okay. We will be uh, providing the words on the screen here for you. I'll be reading from the NIV translation. And we begin in verse 19. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine li linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away 
with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. And he answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn, warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. And he said to, them, said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. That's a very thick word for your Sunday morning. I know what you're thinking. I'm going to get out of bed and go and listen to a fire and brimstone message at church, right? This parable comes in the context of Jesus continuing to reveal the kingdom of God to those who would listen. Like last week, his disciples are present and the Pharisees are questioning him and he's addressing these religious leaders once again. We note as we did last week, the Pharisees and these religious rulers and the teachers of the law, they're essentially stuck on these uh, eternal matters to what they know in the confines of their minds. What's been passed down from the Old Testament lies, lies within their understanding of who God is, how to live for God, and eternity. Now Jesus, just before this particular parable, tells us that the Old Testament law is not a mute point, but that he has fulfilled the law. And he says, before John, you had the law and the prophets, and after John, you've had the good news of the kingdom of God. Jesus points out that the people are trying to violently strive to go into the gospel rather than God's way. So there is a, a law that's been laid out, the God's law, and there's people that are trying to shove their way in, justify the way that they're living and particularly here, Jesus is revealing within this parable that's not so. Your money, even the ex exceptions of the law that you justify are not going to save you. Then he moves into this particular parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Chapter 16 holds a lot of God nuggets for us to pay attention to. The parable of the shrewd manager, someone who does well with just a little bit is going to be given more, and those who do not do good with just a little bit, even what they have will be taken. The religious leaders trying to make adapt adaptations to the law all brings to this point of the rich man and the poor man. First, this rich man. He's dressed in purple, a sign and, and imagery of royalty. He lives in fine linen and, and luxurious lifestyle. He's got 
a full plate every day. Then there's a man who's named Lazarus. And interestingly, this man is the only person in a parable who is named Lazarus. Now, don't, don't be confused with the Lazarus who Christ raised from the dead in John chapter 11. Lazarus, the name is given here because it means God has helped. This man was poor. He lay at the entrance of the rich man covered in sores and dreamt of e- even eating the scraps of this rich man. You know, it's an interesting side note someone of this kind of wealth who would have this kind of food readily available, they would even use loaves of bread as napkins. So this man, you can imagine, is so hungry that he he is seeking, he's desiring to even have the table scraps of the rich man. But the story rolls on in a fashion that leads us to understand that the rich man knew of the presence of this poor man. How would you not? How would you not notice somebody at the entrance of your dwelling? He knew of the presence and the condition of the sick man, and yet he did nothing about it. Now, this isn't a condemnation on wealth or the worship of wealth. Well, actually, it is on the worship of wealth. Moments before this, Luke 16, Jesus says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little can be also dishonest with much. If you have been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with somebody else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. And remember, he is addressing the Pharisees here, the religious, the, the religious elite of the day, those who have it all figured out. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees, who loved money, heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. And he said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. In verse 15, Jesus brings to life the motives of their hearts. Motives we need to listen to as well. We must see that this rich man knows the poor man and his condition, but does nothing about it. But then the scene takes a turn. All of a sudden, we read in verse 22, The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water to cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. Now this is the point, uh, an, an area of caution that we need to not press too hard with this parable. Jesus is using vivid earthly imagery to help us see eternal matters. So as far as this parable goes, there's nowhere else in all of Scripture that talks about Hades and the way in which uh, this rich man is able to talk to Abraham and paradise. This is not what Jesus is trying to say here. What he's trying to say is that time is short And there are eternal ramifications 
for our lives. So much so that this rich man longed even for a drop of water. Think about that. A drop of water. I think it's fascinating as well as we, we look at and hear of Abraham and, and we see and read all through Scripture that Abraham is termed the father of faith and, and this poor man who dies is taken up by the angels to be in the presence and, and the bosom of Abraham to be in the presence to be held tightly where this rich man in all of his riches and in all of his wealth and all of his food is dead and buried. And then the roles are reversed. Abraham says this in verse 25. Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he's, conf- he's con- comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all of this, between us and you a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot and nor can anyone cross over from there to us. And then the rich man comes with a clever response. Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. It says that the the rich man knows the lifestyle of his brothers and saying, oh man, if they would only know, if there would only be somebody who would tell them what awaits them. And Abraham responds, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. Essentially this, Abraham responds, they have the Bible. Let them read the Bible. Let them know what awaits them through the word of God. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. Now, interestingly enough, we bring back in John chapter 11, where Lazarus was. The other Lazarus was raised to life. If if you recall what took place there, family rejoiced and those immediately rejoiced, but there was not just a mass conversion. The Pharisees actually uh, gathered even more might and, and, and mustered up more plans to try and kill Jesus. And so even though Lazarus was brought back to life through Christ, Christ brought him back, people still didn't believe. And then we look at what takes place after Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. People still didn't believe, and people still don't believe. If they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if somebody else rises from the dead. Now it's interesting here a few things that stick out. It is a wrong thing, a dreadful thing, a misinterpreted thing for us to orient and and state our lives upon the pressures of riches, of accomplishments, and everything else for our selfish purpose. I was thinking in in this word how many of us 
from day one, we go through the milestones of life. You get into school and you are taught a lesson and you take exams all through life. We are trying to reach this next phase. We're trying to pass this next thing. All the while, sometimes we let eternity pass by the wayside and not think about it. As Randina said, sometimes we like to just hit the snooze. I'll think about it later. I'll worry about it later. I'll address it later. But eternity is final. That age-old evangelistic question, if you died today, do you know where you would be going? Hebrews 9, verse 27 says this, people are destined to die once after that they face judgment. You know, there is a, a, a very uh, crude understanding amongst Christians that, oh, I can live my life however I want, and then when I die and I'm standing before the pearly gates, then I can make myself right. And, and Mike Taylor, my brother, I'm going to put him on the spot for a second. He sends me a comic strip like once a week. And you know, the one he sent me this week was this person standing at the pearly gates and you know, there's St. Peter and the person said, oh, I forgot my password. It's funny, right? But that, that's honestly, that's in the depths of what a lot of people think. That, oh, I can just make changes or I can, whatever I'm doing here is going to get me the brownie points to get in there. And, and my, my grandfather, I love him to death. He says, you know, I'm going to be in purgatory for a long time trying to work my way to get into heaven. I'm like, Grandpa, that's not what scripture says. Purgatory is, is a made up theology. That is not real. You and I have to have our minds and the understanding that Christ is the one, the only one, who has paid the price for heaven. Anyone who tells you that you have a chance to get into heaven after you die, or, or that if you do this and that, that's going to get you here and here with this kind of status in heaven, are clearly giving you something that is not within Scripture. And so please do not hang on to those words. And then there's this. The confidence in how we answer that question of where we're spending eternity. It is in only the life of Jesus and His Word, not your wealth or your status. Now, Jesus, as He is addressing the Pharisees who love money and He's talking about the riches, this isn't a don't have riches kind of message. This is what are you doing with what you've been given? What are you doing with what you have worked for? We read in the parables and Proverbs, if you don't work, you don't eat. We read all the way through in which the ability that God has given us. And in the same way Lazarus was raised to life, many didn't believe. Christ was raised to life, many didn't believe. And yet we read also and John chapter 14. That he has come the way, the truth, and the life to prepare a place for you and for I. And in all of these parables, what we talked about last week, the sheep, the lost coin, the lost son, 
and then this week headed for the comfort of Abraham. Which direction are we going? Are we, are we living a life that is going to result in eternal torment? A life that our only focus is, is if we could get just a drop of water to help quench the heat. And we have to understand before we just lock in our minds and say, yep, this is just another hellfire and brimstone message. Do you know who's saying this to us here in the Gospel of Luke? Who is speaking these words? It is Jesus Christ, God's one and only Son. God incarnate in the flesh, speaking to us. He's, he's not making any shortcuts or any jokes about it. He's saying it straightforward. There is an eternal destination for each and every single one of us. God himself, the one who knows you, the one who knows the words on your tongue even before you speak, the, the one who knows every time you sit and stand when you're near and far, the one who has written every single day of your life in his book. The one who desires for nothing more than for you and I to accept him and the place that he has made for us in heaven. But we must be willing to humble ourselves and lean not upon our own understanding and our own riches and our own comforts as we have to come to all of these questions and the statements posed throughout the study of something needs to change. I truly believe it really comes down to this. Are we living for our own kingdom or are we living for God's eternal kingdom? How you and I answer that comes in the form of everyday life. We have the opportunity and the chances to make adjustments and changes now as we stand before eternity every single day. You and I can't earn heaven. Scripture is very clear about that. Your works are not good enough. I don't care how smart you are, how wealthy you are, how athletic you are. There's nothing about you that deserves heaven. And yet in the sacrifice of Christ upon the cross, His blood, His body, you're worth everything to heaven. Christ did not die on the behalf of us for us to ignore and to live however we want and think that in the end it's just going to be rainbows and butterflies. Now I know some of you might be thinking, well, I'm not a, a rich person. And I don't have a poor person sitting in my driveway. But you and I, according to 2022 st statistics, are wealthier and more comfortable than 91% of so many other countries in this world.
You know, it was posed this last week in our adult Bible study that oftentimes we have a passive faith that we wait for an opportunity or we wait for somebody to come to us and then decide, are we going to respond? Sometimes that, that's going to happen. But where are you and I as sons and daughters of Christ where are you and I taking those opportunities to go and make changes? Not just within our own families and our own community, about our state, about our country. And it all comes back down to that very first question where are you spending eternity? And if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, Praise be to God. If you're not there yet, I'm praying for you. Let us go to pray. Prayer. Heavenly Father, the words that you've spoken in your parable to these Pharisees, your disciples, and now, Lord, as we hear them ourselves, God, the call to action is really for us to know that eternity is permanent. You're very clear on that. There's no do-overs. There's just your grace, your mercy and forgiveness right here, right now. And you tell us in your word in Romans chapter 10, that if we believe in our hearts and if we confess and profess that you are Lord it's a gift of eternal life and so God I pray right here and now for each and every single one of our souls that we would not waste another moment but that we would cling to you, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.